When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we take a break in the action with Ryan Dowdy. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 235. Welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be talking to Ryan Dowdy, host of the A Break in the Action Podcast, coming up shortly. But as always, we'll take a minute to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. All patrons of the show are eligible for bonus content, bonus episodes. We've got a live Zoom room coming up next week with Nick Adair. And his patrons will be talking all about grouse hunting and previewing the season to come. That is next Tuesday, August 29th. Patrons of the Bird Shop Podcast are eligible for Patreon giveaways, and everybody gets a set of Bird Shop Podcast stickers and can coolers if they want those as well. So you can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, the earwig stories continue. 
If you've been following along the last couple of weeks, ever since Noah and I talked about them briefly on that episode, I have continued to hear from other listeners that have had encounters with earwigs as well. And it sounds like I'm not the only one that has seen an increase in earwigs this year in particular. I've continued to find them around the house, although it does seem to be getting less and less as we near the end of summer. But there were more in the poop scoop handle again last week, if you caught that mention. For whatever reason, they like to crawl inside that handle, so I have learned to check and tap the scoop on the ground a couple times before I start using it. I heard from a listener that was visiting some friends here in Duluth, Minnesota, actually, and noticed a number of earwigs in the bathroom of said friend's residence. And I also got word of a one-up story that was actually sent to Nick Adair by mistake, sent to the wrong Nick. We have a lot of listeners that listen to both of our shows, I think. But anyways, Nick Adair forwarded this to me, and the listener believes that his story, or rather his wife's story, one-ups even the harmonica incident we discussed on last week's episode. So if you missed that, check out the intro to last week's episode, number 234. But this one is not good. I will say that. It's somewhat on the same level as the harmonica story, as the end result was somewhat similar. I will let you be the judge. But this listener emailed in, subject line, earwig story, tops harmonica story. My wife went to brush her teeth and halfway through brushing realized there was more than just toothpaste in her mouth. Her mouth was full of earwig parts. Oh, that's hard to even read, honestly. (laughs) One or more must have been in the toothbrush bristles before she started brushing. We pay for pest control monthly ever since, LOL. (laughs) I actually hadn't read that all the way through when Nick Adair sent it to me. I just knew that I was going to include it on this intro. That is brutal. And again, as I said last week, I don't know how long the Airwig saga is going to continue here on the Birdshot Podcast. I wouldn't be sad if this was the end of it. But the more we observe them, the more they seem to be having an impact on listeners of the Birdshot Podcast. So we'll see. Time will tell. But we have much more pleasant conversation on today's episode than that, and we're going to move into it. Today we are talking to Ryan Dowdy, host of the A Break in the Action podcast, a shotgun-centric podcast that I enjoy, and I think you would as well if you haven't checked it out already. I was recently a guest on Ryan's podcast on an episode that was all about grouse guns. I was a guest on the show along with Greg Elliott of Dogs and Doubles, Meadow Kaufeld, wildlife biologist, hunting guide, taxidermist, and Rich Wong, friend of mine, previous guest of the Birdshot podcast, avid, avid bird hunter, and proud owner of an Upland Gun Company shotgun. We all joined Ryan a couple of weeks ago to talk about grouse guns and what we look for in our own grouse guns, things to consider, and in general just shared some thoughts on how we choose which guns to hunt roughed grouse with, of which we have discussed many times on this podcast, but that episode in particular was very specific to it. It was a lot of fun. I encourage you to check that out if you're interested in grouse gun conversation. And as a result of that, I decided to get Ryan on the show to talk a little bit about a break in the action podcast, but the conversation took a little bit of a turn. Ryan has gotten into some adventuring and solo camping, and we got into gear quite a bit, talk about vehicle camping, rooftop tents, some other stuff, and Really just had some fun with it, talking about the origins of the A Break in the Action podcast and Ryan's journey into the world of shotguns and bird hunting. So that's enough from me. I'll let Ryan tell you the rest of it, and let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Bird Shot podcast, Ryan Dowdy. 
Welcome to the Bird Shop Podcast, Ryan. How you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. Uh, thank you for having me on. You bet, man. This is uh, my pleasure to have you on the show. You and I have been chit-chatting a little bit, mostly about shotguns for the past mm-hmm. for the past few years. And I was I was recently a, a guest on your show where we talked about grouse guns with some other yep. uh, avid avid grouse hunters. That was a lot of fun. So I figured we would get you on the show and talk a little bit about the sort of the how would you call it a rebirth of the a break in the action podcast? Definitely, yeah. So. So I've, I started the podcast in 2019 and um, yeah, didn't really have any big giant plans for it. Um, rolled out a few episodes, had fun with those. There was a three or four month hiatus, you know, rolled out another episode. And then there was, so it kind of, it, it kind of labored down that track for a while. And it was really actually about the fall of last year that that I look back at, you know, what I had just kind of slowly created and, and without a whole lot of deliberate, um, with, with a whole lot of a deliberate plan. And, you know, it, it's fun. And it's, it's, it's been a fun journey. But I thought, you know what, I want to be more um, deliberate to use that word again, I want to be more consistent with it. I want to be more thoughtful with how I kind of lay out my shows and things. And at least just for for whatever the recipe for for my show, a break in the action is I just wanted to kind of follow that. And, and so this year I've really been trying to do that. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been fun. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun. It, it opens up a lot of doors to talk to a lot of interesting guys, just exactly like yourself. Um, and I appreciate that immensely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's obviously something uh, I've enjoyed over the years. And, you know, one of the, listeners of this show will certainly know that you know my interest and love for shotguns has definitely grown over the years and now it's obviously a it's even a bigger part of my life with with my work with up and gun company but that's one of the you know we're we're uh we cover a little bit maybe wider range of topics. And I mean, really the, the range of topics within any niche is kind of limitless. It's sort of how you how mm-hmm. you want to talk about it and how you want to spin it. But you obviously delve into more purely shotguns on your show, although I'm the conversations range range, you know, into hunting and all that sort of thing sure. as well. But I was gonna say where did the name come from, but it's so obvious it's it's <laughs> one of the best best names for the type of podcast you have. Was there a was there like a moment where you were like, that's it? Uh, like how did you come to that name? Well there was and I've got to give credit where credit is due. Okay. One of my he's only about a lukewarm shotgun enthusiast buddy of mine, you know, he and I were sitting in the office. This is years back, 2019, I suppose. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, a podcast and, and, and of course, before you take any steps with anything like that, in, in my world, at least you have to know what it's going to look like. And part of knowing what it look, what's going to look like is what's it going to be called? I mean, you know, it can't be called, you know, Ryan talks about shotguns or it's got to have a catchy name that, that hopefully will compensate for the fact that, you know, I didn't at that time know anything about how to, um, host a podcast and yeah. <laughs> and uh so you know i had a few names and to be honest with you, i can't even remember what the ideas that i had uh were and i threw those out to him and he just kind of you know was just lukewarm on them and and um his first his first suggestion was shotgun nation and i told him i said eh, i feel like that's kind of overplayed and you know I, I there might even be a you know other other shows or things yeah there might be a forum called that yeah i don't yeah (laughs) and i said and and i i don't know that that really captures the essence of what i want this thing to be which is you know 
focusing on better than even best quality break action shotguns. And he's like, well, what about just a break in the action? And I mean, from that <laughs> moment on, Scott, you know, I'll give you your plug. Um, I'll let him know that I that I mentioned him on this podcast. But it wasn't my idea. It was a buddy of mine's idea. I've, I've high-fived him a hundred times since then because I get that feedback all the time from people that it is the most genius name for a podcast on break, break action shotguns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, unfortunately it wasn't mine. Now, now, fortunately I don't owe him any royalties. I don't believe I've bought him a beer or two maybe in over the years. So, <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, it is. It is as you, as you say, a uh, genius name. I mean, there is the other thing that would come to mind are would be double guns, but as you kind of pointed out, there's definitely some, you know, that's been played and riffed on, uh, quite, yeah. quite a bit, but I hadn't prior to your podcast. You know, I feel like maybe I've seen it once or twice since, but, um, yeah, anyways, it's a, it's a great name and, and, uh, it's, well, it's full of great content as well. So, oh, and I appreciate that. And, and the, the, the reality that, um, that dawned on me last fall was that, that break in the action, that, that play on words, yes. because, you know, it's, it's kind of got a, you know, a, a double meaning mm-hmm. obviously. And, but, but it can start to kind of venture into some of the more, sporting leisure type things you're taking a break from the action of your day you know if you're busy doing whatever it is you're, you're doing this is just a break and and obviously we we focus on um shotguns but you know i'd like to to get more into you know talking to authors about books talking to artists about some you know some some of the sporting artwork that that i love and and have have you know appreciated over the years and talking about destinations and talking about and it's all that kind of stuff. It, 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 it was, it was a, it was a brilliant name in 2019, but as I've thought about how I can evolve it into what my podcast is, um, it's become even better, um, over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's, as you're saying, I remember when I was trying to come up with the name for my show after it was a project upland podcast, when I had to rename it, um, I was really struggling with that too. And it was a friend of mine, Gary, I'll give, I'll give him his plug and I should probably buy him a beer too. Uh, <laughs> he was the one that, that, and I think I was in a similar spot as you, you know, you're trying to, you have this idea. It's not even really fully formulated in your head. And I guess at that point I sort of already knew what my podcast was, but then I'm trying to, you're trying to, you know, throw this net over the podcast yeah. with this name that sort of c- captures it all. And that's, you know, not necessarily possible to do. And once, I think once you get down the road a little bit, you realize, okay, the the podcast is established and people know the podcast based on the content that it's put out. So then you could, you have a much wider range than what your name sort of implies. But at that time, when it comes to making that, you know, hopefully permanent decision, um, it can be challenging. I remember I, I put out a little call to listeners of the show and I got a ton of great suggestions, but it wasn't until you're waiting for that one name to come across your yeah. your ears where you're like, that's it. And it, yeah. it was and like, when you hear it, yeah. when you hear it, you know it. Yep. You're <laughs> exactly. exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I think we've covered it, but give me the elevator pitch on a break in the action. Let's inform listeners of the Birdshot podcast. If they show up on the uh, sure. a break in the action RSS feed, what kind of stuff are they going to find? You bet. So obviously it, it is going to be content that's very, very heavy on um, shotguns and and we get into I get into um, 
you know, more than nerdy shotgun stuff. I mean, you know, I like to, I like to, to, to investigate details on shotguns that, that don't interest a lot of people, you know, um, certainly shotguns of, of better quality and even, um, getting into the best quality shotguns we talk about. Um, but it's not all about that. I mean, you know, there was a lot of years that I was into shotguns that, you know, the, 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 best shotgun that I had access to was a secondhand Beretta 686 or something. I mean, so there, there's, there's a lot of room in, in the content, but we, we also branch out, you know, if, if, if 75% of the content is shotgun focused, that other 25 is going to be that kind of that sporting lifestyle. Mm. You know, where, where do you go if you're a guy interested in shotguns and wing shooting and potentially, you know, shooting clays and things like that? Where, where do you go? What do you, what do you, what do you do in the time that you're not um, shooting shotguns? You know, I um, um, starting to maybe look at, you know, some, some, some better and, and, and best, in category gear and accessories and things like that. It's just all that stuff. I mean, it's all the things that they kind of interest me. Um, I've, I've learned over the years, you know, a million ways to buy the wrong stuff. So it's fun when you finally settle on that, that, that favorite, that best piece of gear. And it certainly doesn't have to be the most expensive piece of gear in that category, but, but you, you will, you will sit somebody down and tell them for 20 minutes why that's the best one. And that, that's kind of the stuff that I'm, I'm starting to really kind of um, get into and, and um, explore a little bit and find some content that, that relates to that. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So I do want to rewind the clock a little bit and learn how you got into the whole sporting life and the world of shotguns and, and hunting. Is that, does that go way back for you? Was it later in life? How did that come to be? Yeah, so um, I did not um, shoot guns or hunt at all um, growing up, I grew up just North of Cincinnati, Ohio. And, um, it just wasn't anything that, you know, that, that was around it. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, I had met my wife. We may have been engaged. We may have been just newly married, but, um, we moved over to Indiana and a family member of hers, um, said, Hey, you know, Saturday morning, we're going to go squirrel hunt. And, and I thought, you know, what's that all about? And, and so anyway, you know, I went and, and squirrel hunted and Nick, I had just absolutely a, like a transformative moment. I, I had so much fun. I had, I had always enjoyed being outdoors, but I'd never been outdoors in that kind of a, a way where mm-hmm. you're, you're a hunter. And I mean, that, that's obviously the, the reason that you're out there. There's a being able to appreciate involved. Yep. There's a pursuit. Yep. And, um, he gave me, you know, he let me borrow um, this just gnarled up break action, uh, single shot, 20 gauge shotgun. Um, it may have been like a New England partner or something like that. But it, I mean, it certainly wasn't anything that, um, you know, was 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 that noteworthy other than the fact that it was completely awesome to me at that time. But I had such a great day that day. I, I don't remember getting a squirrel, I probably did everything wrong. You know, squirrel can outsmart a hunter really, really easy, especially a dumb one like I was that day. And, and, uh, but, but it just immediately, um, kindled this just excitement for, for this whole new world mm-hmm. of hunting and things. And so that then kind of transitioned into deer season. You know, I, 
kind of tried to become a self-taught because I didn't really know anybody else that was doing this. So it was a lot of Saturday morning TV. You remember the old TV shows oh, yeah. that you'd watch on Saturday morning, <laughs> you know, Bill you Jordan's got, got real tree. And, oh, I was, I was all in. I mean, I was <laughs> all in. And, you know, I, I fumbled through, through deer hunting for a couple of years. I think it was the third year that I, that I hunted deer that I, before I actually killed my first deer, it was a doe, it was a legal doe. Were you archery hunting and or, or? I did it all. Okay. I, I had, I had a bow, I had a muzzle loader and I had uh, a shotgun. <laughs> um, that, that particular deer was killed with a shotgun and. You know, I look back on it now, this doe was not very much bigger than I, I've got one of my two bird dogs is in a tie in Spinoni. He's about just shy of 90 pounds, big lanky thing, you know, kind of a, he's an ab to breed, just an uh, unconventional bird dog, but, but my bird dog, this doe was not incredibly much bigger than, than, than Guido, <laughs> my, my Spinoni. So, you know, I, 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 I checked that off the list. It, it, it was, it was interesting and fun, but, but I, it just wasn't for me. I then finally kind of landed into duck hunting and um, okay. waterfowl hunting. And we had a local DU chapter, um, fell in with those guys. They were, you know, eager to take a guy in and, and kind of show him the rope. So I really came into wing shooting through the waterfowl um, door. And um, all the while, shotguns became more and more what I was gravitating to, you know, rifles that, that didn't really fit and what, uh, what was, was, um, garnering all my interest at that time. So, so it was shotguns and I still, I had all the shotguns that a, that a normal guy in his mid twenties, um, might have access to, you know, the Remington, you know, 870. And then that probably turned into an 1187 or whatever. And, yeah. um, nothing very, you know, incredible or whatever. Uh, those guns are great and they've got their place, but, um, you know, nothing with a, with a break action design at that point, but all, all the while I was just wanting to talk about this new found hobby that I, that I had. And, and really the only person certainly in my family that was back in Ohio that I had access to, to talk about this stuff was my great uncle Bob and uncle Bob had no, um, kids. And, uh, but uncle Bob was a, was a hunter, lifelong hunter, shotgun guy, rifle guy, pistol shooting guy. I mean, he did it all. And I never really had a whole lot of a connection with uncle Bob until, until I had this, this interest in these outdoor hobbies. But, you know, from that moment on, you know, family get togethers and things, uncle Bob and I would like seek each other out. You know, he's, he's in his late eighties and I'm in my twenties or whatever. And we would sit down at a table at Thanksgiving and we would literally talk uh, guns and shooting and hunting <laughs> the entire time. And then I, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd be, you know, upset when it was time to leave. Well, again, I'm trying to make this a short ish story. When uncle Bob passed away, um, he left me, um, what, I, I truly think was one of his prized possessions, which was an, uh, it's a specialty grade LC Smith, 16 gauge, um, beautiful, beautiful gun. Um, uh, and that gun now became mine. And, and, and just with that incredible gift that yep. he gave me, I was able to be exposed to the world of a break action shotgun because prior to that I hadn't been. And, and to hold in your hand that that gun, by the way, it's a 1913 uh, model. So I mean, you you can imagine the the craftsmanship. It's got the ivory front bead. I mean, this thing was made in a way that I I, I really hadn't seen things made 
to to a level um, to such a high level as this shotgun was. Beautiful wood, fit and finish was great. Obviously, had taken incredible care of it. Um, but just you know, the time I spent with that gun, investigating it, you know, um, of course, you know, going to the Barnes and Noble and picking up the latest uh, copy of Double Gun Journal or something like that. All that stuff kind of fueled this, but, but it was that gift from uncle Bob that, um, I'd love to be able to talk to him these days and say, man, you, you have no idea what, what kind of a monster you created all those years ago. And I, I hope that would put a smile on his face. So <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it would. I'm so glad you mentioned the LC Smith because I got an email earlier this week I think I had an idea in the back of my head that you had some familiarity with Elsie. I didn't, I obviously didn't know Mm -hmm. that story, but uh, I got an email from a listener and I I pulled it up as you were talking. Just, he, he said he had looked through some shows, been enjoying the shows and he was hoping to hear some more on Elsie Smith's. We've talked about Parker's and Fox's and that sort of thing. They get, they get lots of love, but not so much on the Elsie Smith. So I'm, I'm curious what the journey down the rabbit hole was like once you took ownership of that gun, um, I, I mean, did you know what an L.C. Smith was or was that kind of the spark uh, that led to a lot of research and kind of diving uh, deeper? Yeah. So so I did I did mainly from all of those those long talks at family get togethers and holidays. And, and this is really it's not like I had years and years to spend with Bob. This is probably over about 18 months, maybe 24 months okay. that from the birth of my interest in, in all this stuff to when he passed, it wasn't that long of a period of time, but you know, when he would talk to me, obviously he was talking to me about, and I was eager to listen to about the, the, the guns or the better guns that he had in his collection. And, you know, um, Bob was an engineer. Um, he, he worked for, um, the bold safe company in um, Hamilton, Ohio. And, and he, 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 he was a meticulous, with details. And, and I, mm. in my mind, at least I knew, you know, this gun, if this LC Smith, which I didn't know that much about the brand or the company at that time, but if this was a, if this was a brand that, uh, you know, great uncle Bob is, is calling his prized possession of all the years that he's hunted and all the guns that he's owned. This is the one that he's got that is his, you know, go to most proud of right. um, bird gun. Um, that that spoke volumes to me. And so that's really how I came into it. I, I didn't, you know, I, I had heard of Parker, I'd heard of Fox, I'd heard of Lefevre yeah. and Ithaca, and I heard of all these other brands, but it was it was that um uh, I guess seal of approval, I guess, that 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 great uncle Bob um had given me that that started me off uh probably jaded towards Elsie Smith in the years since. I've owned, um, well, I'll tell you, the only gun that I, I've not owned a Lefevre. Okay. And I, I'd like to own a Lefevre. I probably ought to at least have some time with a Lefevre at, at some point, an old Lefevre. Um, but I've owned all those other, and they're they're fantastic. All of them are great in their own way. Right. But Elsie Smith is just kind of still got a little bit of a special spot for me just because of, again, uh, Uncle Bob. Yeah, yeah. That's cool that, again, you it was a, it was you know, relatively a short time you spent sort of picking his brain, but the fact that some yeah. of that knowledge and stuff got passed on, I mean, that's, those are cool stories. And, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, the, the couple things, the, the shotgun specific things that he would have told me in those days was that, you know, it was either, you know, the only or one or very, very few 
you know, sidelock American built double guns. And, yep. you know, of course he had explained to me what that even meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but still to this day, I mean, I, you know, I've, 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 I'm fortunate enough to own a handful of, of, of nice, um, a couple of London sidelock guns. I mean, there, there is something special about a, a sidelock design gun, you know, being able to, uh, especially if it's got hand detachable locks, pop those locks off and hold the the mechanics of that gun in your hand yeah. um, is is pretty special. I mean, that's a that's a pretty that's a that's a that's a that's a neat thing to um, to experience. So there again, Elsie Smith. I think um, I, I your your listener, or the person that asked you that question, I feel like they maybe don't get quite as much press from the vintage U.S collectors as obviously the parkers and the five i do feel like they're just a little bit kind of undersold or under yeah um and and i I don't get that but um but yeah i may i maybe see what what he was talking about yeah and i I mean i think that i think there's an lc collectors club you know there's sure sure that's like that's something but yeah i'm have talked plenty about parkers and foxes over the years i i still own uh, a fox sterling worth um but that's that's my only vintage american gun at this point but yeah it's just from afar a little bit it does feel like you know they kind of lead the charge parker and fox and uh, yeah and then the other ones get brought up enough but maybe maybe a little bit um less love going their way as you said but right. I, I was going to ask you and it, so i knew I knew that there was one of the American guns, and I think in the in my head I always had it jumbled up between Elsie Smith or Lefevre. One of them was a side lock, and so is, that is mm-hmm. that is the Elsie Smith. Is that true of all Elsie Smiths? Um, I believe it is. I've owned, you know, in the years since I've owned field models. I had an old Elsie Smith. Gosh, I think it was a model A. A1 or something like that. It was a, you know, just kind of a big, um, heavy 12 gauge, but everyone that I've owned, everyone that I've seen Nick has been a side lock. Now they are a side lock of a little bit different variety okay. than if you, if you pick up a Purdy or a Holland and Holland or something, I mean, it, it, it's different. I mean, there, there is, it, it's, it's Americanized, but it's a side lock nonetheless. And, um, you know, now, I don't believe that Elsie Smith's ever were offered with like hand detachable side locks. You know, a lot of times you'll see that little protruding thumb screw mm-hmm. on the side of one of the lock plates. You can spin that off and pop these things off, you know, in the, in the field and you don't need tools. You certainly don't have to take, you know, the screwdriver that's in the, the toolbox of your truck to them or anything like that. So Elsie Smith's, they are put together with screws. Um, I, don't believe I've ever opened up the locks on this particular one of Uncle Bob's. I kind of it, it it's it's babied a lot. It sure. it it uh, a lot of guys would probably grimace at the at the fact that I would say that in the past five years I may have shot it literally four or five shells through it. Um, <laughs> and it's and it's not I'm not one of those guys that just doesn't shoot, but it's just that particular gun. You know, yeah, if, if I ever did anything to it, using it and heaven forbid the, you know, got a crack on the stock, you can get that stuff repaired. But this particular one was Uncle Bob's and this particular stock was Uncle Bob's. Everything about this gun, you know, I just want it to stay exactly the same. The recoil pad has petrified. I mean, I didn't know rubber could get as hard <laughs> as the recoil pad on this thing is. And, you know, I won't replace it. I, I don't need to replace it. I'm not. 
It'd be a great grouse gun. It'd be yeah. a fantastic little grouse gun. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what length are the barrels on it? Twenty six. Twenty six. So it's you said got, it was a sixteen gauge, right? It's a sixteen gauge. Yep, yep. And um, the um, it's got both a splinter and a beaver tail um, forend for it um, with matching serial numbers. So that's kind of an odd. Um, you know, when this thing was ordered, somebody got both, both forends. Oh, you and, oh it's got you know, a splinter and a beaver tail. It's got it with, with, with hardware for each, yeah. you know, the, it's got the, um, I can't remember the precise name, but it's the roller. It's got kind of a, a, a knurled wheel that, that, that releases the splinter forend. It's not an Anson Dealey style latch. It's not a push button. It's mm-hmm. a little bit different, but it's got, you know, individual hardware with each um, and each in the wood is got, you know, um, all matching serial numbers. So the gun was ordered with, excuse me, um, a semi beaver tail forend and a splinter. Yeah, that is neat. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's, I mean, that's one of the neat things about, you know, you used to be able to walk into the, the hardware store or the, the general store yeah. and go order your Parker and Fox and, you know, customize it kind of like we do with up and gun company in 2020. Yeah, just exactly. Throw a shameless plug in there. <laughs> it's not, no. a, not always readily available this, this day and age. It's, it's not. And I'll tell you what, that, I think that that's really, really cool because, you know, for a lot of guys that aren't obsessed and, and nerd out like I do on shotguns and, and might have, you know, a handful of them, they're getting one and to be able to give them specifically the one that they want with the engraving that they want with the, with the, the figure of wood that they want. I mean, wood is such a, such a personal thing. I mean, yeah. you know, I've got stocks that, that I would, you know, rave over and then you show them to the next guy. They're like, yeah, that's not really my thing. And yeah. I'm like, you yeah, know, what are you talking about? This is beautiful. And so to, you know, to give guys some, some input on um, things down to that level without having to charge them the price that a truly, fully bespoke shotgun i think it's great i think it's fantastic um you know i i i I love the whole model that you guys are working with yeah yeah it's another option for for people and yeah it's a lot of fun but you mentioned wood that is a you know i hear in talking to customers i sort of hear all of the and you know if you spend enough time chit-chatting shotguns on over the interwebs and on forums and stuff you hear a lot of this stuff too but the people have very, uh, I mean, widely ranging opinions on shotgun wood as they do with just about everything else. But, you know, it's some people, they are all about it. They want highly figured, high graded wood. And I totally understand that. I really have, have developed an appreciation for that high, high grade, high, highly figured wood. And then other people take the, even though they're they're they may be building a gun with us, which is, you know, you're not just going to the store and buying something off the shelf. You're building a custom gun. They still are of the opinion they don't want a nice piece of wood on it. They don't want to worry about it. They want to take this gun into the woods and and bang it around and not worry about scratching and denting it. And oh, so yeah. they just they just want a you know a nice straight grain piece of piece of Turkish yeah. walnut on there. So it's you really see a wide wide range when it comes to that kind of well, stuff. Well, and it's you know it's that way it's that way in life with a lot of things. You yeah. got the the practical among us. And then you got the peacocks, like, you know, I'm, I'm a peacock. You know, I, I have bought guns that I had that, that the actual gun was not that interesting to me, but this just amazing standout piece of wood that this thing had on it. Um, you know, it came home with me and, you know, I got it home and, and, you know, the rest of the gun was just kind of, you know, 
okay, but gosh, look at that wood. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I give it, but you know, to, to, to give props to those practical, I mean, they're right. I mean, if you're really wanting a strong, durable gun, certainly one that, um, you know, is going to let, you know, this just high contrast caramel and chocolate swirl and all this stuff. I mean, that's, that's not necessarily what you want. Certainly not what you want in the wrist. Right. Uh, and, you know, if, if you've got some of that, that interesting grain and figure towards the back, that's great. You know, you want to, you want nice straight grain through the wrist um, where, you know, the propensity for, um, for these guns to fail yeah. to break is, is the highest certainly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the other thing that I like, or at least I guess maybe one of the justifications I say when it comes to putting a nice piece of wood on a gun is, or looking for that is it's, it's kind of the most, you know, it's the most, one of the most unique parts of the gun, right? There's only one piece of mm-hmm. that wood in the world, even though, mm-hmm. you know, the action may be the same and the engraving may be the same, but there's, there's one piece of Turkish walnut or whatever, whatever kind of wood it is, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's a vintage gun or not. So that's, you know, people have, people have fun with it, but. Gearing up for your next hunt, check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Is there an LC Smith that stands out to you that is kind of, I imagine you're a guy that maybe has a gun or two on his list, you know, the kind of the endless search, right? We've always got to have yeah. something on the horizon. Is there, is there a, is there an LC Smith that you would, you hope to add to the collection one day or is uncle Bob's enough to check that box? No, his is really, um, it's filled for me. And again, it's not the highest grade that they made. It's, it's, it's a nice, you know, certainly well above middle grade. I mean, a specialty grade. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have no, I am satisfied with where my, and I, I'm using, you know, air quotes here, collection um, stands right now in the LC Smith category. That, that gun to me, um, I could buy that, that, that a one, I think it was a model a one from like 1890 or something like that. I mean, it was a, it was a relatively noteworthy gun. There weren't a lot of them made. Um, it was, um, 
you know, it was in great condition and things like that. But to be honest with you now, I mean, it, it, even though it was probably more noteworthy than the 1913 specialty grade 16 gauge that I've got, it, you know, it's, it's, it's moved out from the collection. It, it didn't, I've got, I've got kind of guns that have kind of a forever place in, in the gun room. And then some that are transient, you know, they get, I get to enjoy them and, and we have fun for a little bit together and do some shooting and things like that. But, um, you know, they're on the, they're on the chopping block, so to speak for, you know, if, if that next, um, that next shotgun purchasing opportunity pops up. So yeah. I'm cool. good. I'm good in the LC Smith category. All right. So I'm going to segue with this next question and being a self-proclaimed peacock, I, I want to ask you, <laughs> having seen, having seen your hunting slash sporting life rig, and we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit, uh, as it relates to camping and traveling and all that sort of thing. I have to know, because this has been on my mind as of late due to some recent announcements, is there a chance that your next vehicle is going to be a Lexus GX 550? Oh, <laughs> well, so, so I, I own a, a GX 460, right? You, you know that, or yes, maybe you saw that. I did. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're stunning. They're beautiful, but uh, I am right now. And, and this is really the first time in my life that I am not already planning the next vehicle okay. that I'm going to buy. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I've got, I've got a handful of things that kind of captured my interest. Cars has always been one since I was really, really young. My dad and I would go out on, you know, weeknights and, and just, you know, in the Cincinnati, there's every, you know, auto dealership sure. you can think of within 20 minutes of where, where we lived. And we just go look at cars. We, you know, we weren't in the market to buy them or he wasn't in the market, but we just go look at them, see what new, so I've carried that for a long, long time. And, and I've been the guy that, you know, every, every three years or something like that, you know, no matter what I had, I was looking at the next car and, uh, my, um, vehicle that I've got right now, I've had, I think I've had for five years. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, it's fantastic car. I don't mean to give, you know, kind of a shameless plug to that, that Lexus GX 460, but it's a, it's a great SUV truck suits my needs. Um, there are certainly, um, cooler, better, more expensive and newer ones, um, out there. Um, and that, that five, I mean, I've, I've seen that, that whole Toyota's whole line that they've got coming up, Toyota and Lexus is, mm -hmm. is, is pretty sharp. Um, but I mean, what are you getting up? 80, uh, yeah. I, 80 I, grand. I won't even look at the, <laughs> come on, Nick, <laughs> I can, I can buy a couple shotguns for 80 grand. I mean, what you, I'm obviously, yeah, uh, I'm dipping my, <laughs> dipping into your wallet here, yeah, even yeah, suggesting yeah. that, but yeah, to give a little context, the, when we, we did an, we did an, I did an episode, gosh, it was either the early, I think it was earlier this year with Jimmy Lewis and we talked overlanding and we were talking mm -hmm. a lot of Toyotas cause he, that's what he has. And, and I have a long history with Toyotas, my dad and, and my brother sold them. My dad's retired now, but I've always just kind of been a, been a Toyota fan and I have a Sequoia and I always have wanted a Land Cruiser. And I know Jimmy and I talked about mm -hmm. it at that time that it was discontinued and yep. just earlier this month, they, they announced mm -hmm. the new Land Cruiser in the U S which is, it's a little different than the old one. It's uh, for anybody, uh, this may go over a lot of people's heads, but it's not the 300 series um, next generation of the old 200 series, but it's kind of like an in-between. It's actually like the 250 
it's a little bit smaller and there's usually the way Toyota does it. It's there's usually a comparable Lexus vehicle and that is the Lexus GX 550. But the, mm-hmm. the 550 and the, there's some differences between that and the new Land Cruiser for 24, but they are, they kind of have a retro like boxy look. Very and, much. I mean, they, yeah. they, they really, really went for that sort of, you know, off-road, as much as a Lexus can look like it's off-road and rugged, this one does. It's it's yeah. a beautiful looking vehicle. And not now, I will say that that um, I probably could find myself easier buying one of the new Land Cruisers. Yeah. Because I, I if if and I might be mistaken, and I know we're not you know putting on a commercial for Toyota and Lexus here, but well, if anybody from Toyota's listening, uh, yeah, they, there you can, go, sponsorship <laughs> yeah. opportunity, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the price point to get into one of those is a whole lot more. Um, interesting to me than than what i've seen you know the chatter about you know where the where the comparable lexus is going to be and, yes. and again i i love my vehicle it's been fantastic I, I there's not a single thing negative that i can say about it but i'm just not in that spot right now where you know cars are expensive everything's expensive but cars just feel like they have just you know in not even incrementally exponentially gotten more and more expensive and you know anything you want 50 grand plus i mean that's you know you're 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 driving a budget vehicle almost these days you know what the new f-150 is nine you know if you get the top of the line tricked out ford f-150 it's like ninety five thousand dollars. yeah it's, yeah it, it i mean is it's insane insane yep and I say that as I as as I'm sitting here looking at you know stupid ridiculously expensive shotguns that I've <laughs> bought and sold over the years. So I mean everybody's got their thing, and and I get that um, that that cars and trucks. You know a lot of guys love those, and I've been there, and and they would look at me and think, you know, why did you spend more than you know what what's a what's an you know, a, a good modest, you know, hunting shotgun. If, if it's five, six, 700 bucks, right. you know, why did you need to spend, you know, how many multiples of that on that one or this one or whatever? Yeah. So I get it. Um, but there is, uh, about one, two, three, there's like seven deer right outside my window. There's, I got an apple, yeah. I got an apple tree out here and they're just starting to taste good and they're dropping. So the deer have been coming by and there's this one angry old doe. She's beating the crap out of <laughs> any other deer, including some spotted fawns that are trying to get in and get apples. It's a kind of a chaos outside the window here, <laughs> but yes, all of that to say the, the rooftop tent would look pretty awesome on top of one of those new land cruisers, right? Yeah. Just, just in case you had they would. thought of that. <laughs> Actually, it would, it would fit, it would fit better than when I had one on top of my Lexus. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're really being honest, um, but yeah, you know, that my, my, um, the rig that my, my wife calls this trailer that I've got, um, I think that's, I think that was your original kind yes. of segue into <laughs> all this. But yeah, I've, um, I, I feel like my life is kind of um, compartmentalized into kind of roles that I play. And, you know, Monday through Friday from nine to five or whatever, I, you know, I play a role of a guy who, you know, is works in the city and, um, you know, in finance or whatever. And then I've got, you know, these other roles, but one of my roles is I love to just get out. I like to get out and be the only person around even better when it's just me and my dogs. Mm. So, um, you know, one way that I found to do that is to just, you know, have just a little bit of this kind of nomadic hunting or fly fishing or whatever, um, 
uh, role that I play. And, and, you know, these rooftop tents, they're, they're kind of cool. If you ever, you know, if you've ever slept on the ground, um, if you sleep in a rooftop tent, you'll never, ever go back. But I've, I've taken some trips where it's just me and my dogs or me and just a friend and, and dogs or whatever. And, um, you get out, you know, you're just out in the forest, in the woods, in the fields, um, in the mountains, whatever. And, um, I really, really enjoy it. But yeah, that, that, that trailer is kind of a, it's almost kind of a Frankenstein thing. It, it grows and gets new features and new weird things um, added to it. Every time that I take a trip, yeah. uh, I've got a very, uh, I've got a very patient welder fabricator. And when I say patient, I mean that he'll do anything I ask him to do uh, as long as I pay him. So yeah, for um, the price. <laughs> I'm always bringing, yeah, always bringing new ideas back to him. Well, we've, we've, I mean, I know we've got some gear junkies that listen to the show and I, if you don't mind sharing, I am curious, uh, Rooftop tents. Let's go there first, and then mm-hmm. we'll talk about the the trailer and and maybe some of those some of those mods because you piqued my interest there. But what kind of tent are you using? I'm really curious about one of those. I don't at this mm-hmm. point in my life. I'm not doing a lot where I would use one, but I know it's one of those things where if I invested in something like that, it may spark a little bit more yeah. ideas to you. Yeah. I've got a couple things in the back of my mind where I know it would be really, really useful for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I think for the reason you pointed out, it just seems like a really nice way to, you know, to kind of get somewhere and pop that thing up. And I talked, I remember sure. talking to Jimmy about that quite a bit on the ease of, of use and just how convenient they are. Um, wh- what do you have? What do you like about it? What are the yeah. drawbacks, if any, kind of how do you, what's your thought process on them? Yeah. So, so the first thing that I would say that is, yes, you, you definitely will find new reasons to use it. Mm-hmm. If, if you, if you got one, you know, I wasn't like a tent camper every weekend and, you know, bought this and it was an improvement over my tent camping routine. I got this, you know, for a purpose, I believe it was the first one I got was, you know, I had a trip planned and it, it just kind of worked and we thought, yeah, um, actually I take that back. I had it on top of a Jones, um, six dog, uh, stainless steel trailer. You've, oh, you've seen the okay. Jones yeah. bird dog. Trailer. Yeah. So I was, I was, uh, I got invited to a field trial with some buddies. These guys all had these big, incredibly expensive custom horse trailers. Cause it was, sure. you know, one of them was judging and, you know, part of this trailer is, 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 um, is set up obviously for, uh, with horse stalls, but the front half is like a little mini RV. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're going to be out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, you come with us. It'll be great fun. Um, you can sleep. I'm only taking one horse. You can sleep in the floor of one of my horse stalls. And I thought, I don't think I want to do that. So I, I, I had seen and heard these about these rooftop tents. That was kind of the, the prompt for me to get one, bought one, had it, you know, um, uh, worked into the top of my Jones trailer and absolutely loved it. I had the most fun on that trip. That particular tent was a roof nest. And for anybody that doesn't know, basically all a rooftop tent is, is a, you know, usually hard sided, but they can be soft sided um, tent that rides on your vehicle or rides on a trailer. But the whole floor of these things is a memory foam mattress. Mm. So, you know, they vary anywhere from like four inches thick to six inches thick. So you crawl up in them and you've got, you know, anything from about the equivalent of a full size bed to a queen or even some of them are bigger than that, much bigger than that. 
and the whole the whole floor is just soft and it's nice to sleep on and it's you know you've got obviously tent walls and things like that but had a great time with that that was a roof nest i bought that tent um used off of like facebook marketplace uh, which is a great place people that buy these are constantly they're buying them and realizing they don't you know they don't use them so they're selling them or they're buying them and realizing they love them so they want to buy an even better one uh, which i've been there and then they're selling them so you know if somebody wants to dip their toe in the rooftop tent game uh check out facebook marketplace that's probably a, a good first step but i've had roof nests i've had a couple of those i had um i don't remember the model that that one was but but then i I pre-ordered one of their, they were coming out with the Falcon Pro, which was all aluminum, which is nice. Um, Lighter weight. Um, that's the, yeah, light, lightweight. And, and um, the, when they're all aluminum, that also typically translates into the fact that they set up super easy, mm-hmm. meaning you flip a latch, it unlocks, hydraulic struts, pop this thing up, and you're, you're, crawling into it good to go there's no um, putting some, a rain fly on these things or, that's right yeah. it, it just i mean it, it's just that easy the soft-sided ones are they're you know they're they're noticeably less expensive but there is a little bit more setup it's still not a big deal i sure. mean it's not like it's it's gonna dissuade you if that's where you're at um but that that um that roof nest falcon pro was what i had on top of my lexus for like almost a year so you know i'm using this thing and i'm probably going to be generous here and say that maybe i used it seven or eight nights in a year uh so the other 300 and and you know 56 seven eight days uh this thing's just riding on top of my my vehicle and um you know you get a lot of people don't know what it is that you've got up there. I mean, some people understand that it's at least a rooftop tent. They, then they're just asking why, you know, why do you have it on there? Like all this time. Um, Other people have no idea even what it is. Um, So I, I made a plan to kind of offload. I I had sold the Jones trailer because that was a Jones six stall trailer. And I only have two dogs. I've I've always only had two dogs and it was just a lot it, you know, it, it had a lot of dog capacity, way more than I needed. Um, so I got rid of that and kind of hatched the idea that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of make in the overlanding community that this is pretty common, these overlanding trailers. I mean, these, these are these kind of purpose built, um, overbuilt, um, um, fabricated trailers. And, um, I took that opportunity to also switch the tent that I had from a roof nest Falcon pro. The one that I've got now is a, a CVT a Cascadia vehicle tents okay. model. I can't remember what it is, but it's all aluminum too. Um, had this trailer basically built to be a carrier for that tent. So it fits perfect. It's, you know, dimension, everything just looks like it all kind of came together. Well, then that grew to, well, Hey, I can, you know, throw a, um, throw a dog box, um, into this, into this plan. So I've got a, an Owens, um, two stall, um, kennel, and it had to be the very, you know, very particular model, because like I said, I've got a Spinoni. He's, you know, he's a big lanky, tall thing. And, like and most, pounds? he's, oh, he's like 87 pounds, okay. big, big, lanky, tall thing. Um, and you know, for, to, to drive to Wisconsin, 10 hour trip with him cramped into a small box that might be completely adequate for a setter or a smaller breed. That's just one anything. So, you know, I, I, I picked up this Owens 
two dog box. I've got, you know, Guido Spinoni in there. I've also got a poodle pointer, which, you know, Klaus, he can ride anything. He's little, he's pocket size and, um, had that worked into it. And then, you know, decided that it probably needed to have kind of a full camp kitchen outfit. And so that's kind of worked into it. So it's this weird amalgamation of like an overlanding trailer, a hunting trailer, a camping trailer. I just had a fly fishing trip last weekend that I took it down to North Carolina and uh, it's just fun. I mean, it's fun to just get out on the road, you know, whether, whether you work in a factory all day, whether you work behind a desk all day, you know, sometimes it's fun to just take a break from people. Yeah. And um, when you can just get out and be by yourself, um, I enjoy that. Um, that kind of charges me up a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I could, I could see myself enjoying adventures like that. I mean, I, I certainly oh, yeah. enjoy hunting by myself and doing a lot of that stuff as well. So I'm, I, I'm with you on that. As far as like exit and entry on these tents, I mean, I know there that's basically included, you know, you got some kind of ladder system, but right. I, I'm kind of, I'm looking at this picture of, of, uh, of this Lexus GX 550 and, and not that I'm buying one. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm looking at it. I'm visualizing like, yeah. how, how is the, how is the ladder system? Uh, how does it accommodate different vehicles and heights and mm-hmm. like, how do they, how do they solve that problem? Yeah. So pretty much all the ladders, they're, they're, they're standardized. I think that they, they're, they're an eight foot ladder. Okay. So they telescope. So, right. you know, you, you kind of set it up to your height and then it, it just kind of self adjusts to be, you know, locked in place at whatever height. So, when I had it on top of my my um, SUV, it, I was sleeping a whole lot higher than I am right now on top of this um, right. this trailer. Um, so I actually, you know, that my my GX four hundred and sixty has a side opening rear door. Mm-hmm. They they yep. bailed on that, I believe, with this brand new design. Yeah, but I did. love that. Yep. So I had a side opening door. I had my ladder hooked right into the back, and I was able to without any um, uh, complication, uh, crawl right up in, in and out of my, um, roof nest Falcon pro that I had on top of my Lexus at that time. Now the ladders on most of these tents can, can be located on, on either the driver or the passenger side of the tent or on the rear of the tent. So, you know, I, I can't say that I have thought through every different vehicle configuration and that they'll work for just about everything. But I mean, these things are popular. If you drive out West, I, I went on a fly fishing trip last year, last June with a buddy of mine. We had a rooftop tent on top of my vehicle. I had a, we were taking a drift raft. So like a fly fishing drift boat, but a raft. And on top of that raft trailer, we had fabricated another mount for us. So we had two tents. We had, we're going down the road. Rooftop tent on top of my vehicle, a rooftop tent on top of the trailer hauling this raft. So, I mean, we we were a sight to see. We got into some really cool water. You can't imagine, once you get west of probably Kansas City, certainly into Colorado, these things are everywhere. I, I mean, you know, in the, in, in the eastern United States, there's still a little bit, um, you know, kind of interesting to see. And you wonder what in the world it is. You get out west. I mean, they're incredibly popular. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would encourage it. I, I've had a lot of fun with the several that I've owned and don't know that in my experience that any one's better than the other. They're just different. Yeah. So just, you know, figure out what you need it to be and and find one. Yeah. yeah. One other thing that I that I'm thinking about on those is you sort of and I'm wondering if they have anything to address this or it just is what it is, but you kind of lose the 
you know, one cool thing about a ground tent is you oftentimes will have like a vestibule where you can, you know, extra storage or you hmm. can, you can take off wet boots and, and that sort of yeah. thing. The, the, how does that work? And, you know, do you have a space well, kind of as you crawl in, you sort of carve out a little space for your wet boots. If you got foul weather, what do you do there? So that, that is where the rabbit hole, Nick, um, starts to really, really get deep. So yeah. then you can start to explore things like, you know, 270 or 360 degree bat wing awnings that the oh, overlanding yeah. community is all aware. So, I mean, you know, when I had, when I had it on top of my vehicle, I also had a 270 degree awning that rode on the passenger side that um, didn't, it wasn't on there permanently, but I could pop it on there for trips and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that gave you that kind of shaded space, that space away from the rain um, to, you know, to, to, you know, change your shoes or yeah, sit down things. and, and yep. you know, they almost always have um, attached to them at some point at the top. You know, once you, once you climb the ladder, there's like a shoe storage bag or something like that. You never want to crawl in them with your dirty shoes. Cause again, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't jump into the bed in your master bedroom with your dirty hunting boots on. So, I mean, you, you shed that stuff. All of them have different versions. The, the CBT, I think it's called a Mount Washington that I have right now, it has a built-in vestibule, rainfly, whatever. I mean, so you pull this thing out and and I, I think that was probably visible in one of the pictures that I may have sent you. Okay. But I mean, it's about, it, it's about eight feet out. I mean, it, it goes out. So, I mean, it's connected to the tent, gives you a place where, you know, you can, you can get in and out of the weather or whatever. Um, uh, but it's different. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely different. And oh, I yeah. really don't that now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is, that's that. There, yeah. There's a lot more to that than I yeah. would, than I was imagining. Yeah. That's really cool. Wow. Well, and, and so mine also came with, and I'm embarrassed to say I've not even attached it yet. We turned this into like an overlanding episode. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> but, it, but mine's also got this vestibule room or annex room. I think they call it. That's room. Is what it's what you see there, but it goes all the way to the ground with a with a ground um, uh, mat or whatever. I mean, so it's an enclosed room with yeah. screen screen. I mean, so you could throw some cots in there. I mean, and wow. you know, if you've got a buddy or two that wants to go with you, and you know, obviously want them up in your you know queen size mattress with you, um, you throw them you know cot or whatever. And I mean, so that it, it's genius what all these companies are coming up with and and um i think it's cool i mean i'm i'm again i'm not like some um crazed tent camper person that that discovered this this just it it, it was a guy that didn't want to sleep on the ground yeah uh, but i needed to be outside and I, I discovered these and they're they're really really neat yeah that's really yeah that's cool i i have never really gone even looking or digging beyond some of the conversations I've had on this podcast, but I've never really looked into them myself, but I'm definitely curious. Talk to me about, talk to me about the fat tire bike. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I've got to give, I've got to give credit to that, to um, a guy that's got a YouTube channel, um, ultimate upland. And I saw he had a year or two ago, he had this adventure out West where he was. um, Oh, that's Brad, right? Brad. I couldn't think of his name. Yep. And, um, he he had a fat tire bike and he, you know, he's kind of, his dogs are out on the ground and he's, he's kind of following behind them and, and all this. And uh, I thought, you know, that looks like it could have some real potential because, you know, one of the places that I hunt often is in, um, Northern Wisconsin. And, you know, oftentimes 
while the dogs are putting in a lot of work, you might find yourself just pretty much, you know, going down, walking down, uh, you know, a logging road or something like that. And I thought, you know, I bet I could cover even more ground. And, and, you know, when, when I get uh, the cue that the dogs, you know, on a bird or on point or whatever, like, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe this works. So that's, that's a new add on. I took it down to that, that fly fishing trip, um, that I just was on last weekend. And, um, uh, rode around on the fat bike a little bit. Funny story about that, Brad. You know, I was reaching out to him and I was complimenting. I was, hey, man, cool, cool YouTube episodes. You know, I think these are neat and everything. And, you know, that fat, fat bike seems like an interesting concept and it looks like they're really capable and you can drive through snow and you can ride through, you know, mud and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, um, in the amount of time it took him a couple of days to get back to me when I messaged him, but I have found one. This is kind of me. Um, in a nutshell, I found one on marketplace or something like that, bought this thing, got it home. And like the day that I got it home, he messaged me back. He's like, yeah, I really wouldn't do a fat bike. He said, you know, they're, they're kind of too hard to pedal and all this other kind of stuff. He said, you're best just sticking with a mountain bike or whatever. But anyway, I, <laughs> I, uh, I made, made the purchase before I got the good, good advice, but it, it, it's worked out. I can see where, um, it would, it would have, um, some utility, I suppose. Now, what I'm going to do with the gun is the next thing, whether it's a shoulder sling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, not really keen like on a scabbard or something. Yeah. I mean, who knows? So I'm, I just, I like gadgets and weird stuff and some of them work and most of them don't. So the <laughs> fat bike will probably be gone from, from my world and in time. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, no, that's another thing that I have, I have, you know, we've got some great, mountain biking trails around here and they like like a lot of things outdoor i feel like just with some of the gear and gizmos and stuff um it's really accessibility has increased and it's there's just some fun stuff you can do as you've pointed out with a lot of stuff it's cool i i I haven't taken the plunge on a on a fat tire bike i've got a pretty nice mountain bike that i will ride but i think some of that could be you know terrain dependent too like the, sure. the fat tire bike really does well in certain conditions. Um, cer- around here, a lot of people ride them in the winter on snow, and that's that's obviously yeah. cool. But I think it, it maybe being out west, you know, you got more arid, dry country. Um, you know, you can probably cruise a little bit better on just a, a regular, you know, like an oversized yeah. mountain bike tire. They got the plus tires. That's that's what I have on right. mine. But um, certainly, well, I think his 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 main his main thing was they're they're good and you and you even said this when it's flat and you're just in you know kind of sloppy wet you know snow whatever that's great and they and they're fantastic if you're doing a lot of elevation i mean all you're doing is is using your legs yeah to move even more rubber and friction and everything else at that point so um that was his main criticism um of of the fat bike i suppose because he was i can't remember if he was in montana or wyoming or utah he was he was out west and it there was there was a lot of role to the country that he was in. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I've, I've definitely thought about that. And I know some, some folks that, that use those bikes to, to gain access behind gates and stuff to get into mm. deeper, you know, deeper grouse covers. And that's, that's sort of where my mind goes. Um, or even turkey hunting or some, or like mm-hmm. fly fishing, like you're, you know, some, yeah, other, there's that's, that's, lots so of I, uses. The, the, the place that I wanted to um, fish was about two and a half miles away from where I parked, you know, my vehicle slash 
trailer, all that stuff we were just talking about. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could certainly have walked that, but you know, if you can speed that up, that's just that much more time on the water. So um, it, it worked out for me. It was, you know, it was good. It wasn't, wasn't a drawback or anything like that in that trip I had last weekend with it. So, yeah. On the dog trailer, just to kind of round round out this conversation around the, mm-hmm. the mobile unit, uh, what was the is it is the idea behind the dog trailer to kind of because you don't have a full size SUV currently, you know, you everybody has limited storage space, you know, it's always a, a jigsaw mm-hmm. puzzle trying to figure out how we're going to carry and move dogs and that kind of thing. So is it kind of get the dogs in the trailer, give a little bit more room inside the vehicle, or you know, why the trailer versus a couple crates in the back of the truck? Um, well, I have, I mean, you know, on, on a Saturday when I'm just going to run the dogs at our property, I don't haul the trailer sure. out and do all that stuff. The dogs are in the back and, and, you know, the GX 460, it's, it's, you know, it's a full size SUV. It's, it's, um, it's, it's got space for them. What yeah. I want to drive 10 hours with, you know, um, Guido breathing in my ear, um, you know, no, uh, <laughs> but, um, has Guido ever been skunked? Um, Guido has not been skunked, but, uh, I had a Brock de Bourbon a, uh, before Guido that got skunked and okay. that is not one of my favorite things. So <laughs> that's always um, what people will say about SUV, which I run an SUV and I'm knocking on wood. My dogs have never been skunked. But yeah. <laughs> sooner now, later. now, uh, Klaus has rolled in a, the carcass of a, uh, deer, which I would probably say rivals, distinct uh, i didn't have him in my suv at the time but th- there's there's a stink that death gives that i think is is way worse than what a skunk can produce but no i mean that's just you know i don't the dogs don't sleep in the tent with me yeah um they sleep in the kennel so um the 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 the, the owens kennel that i've got in there is just a great way to road them to you know once we get where they're going you know the the great thing about a satisfied happy and tired bird dog they'll sleep about anywhere i mean these two kennels that are in the back of that i mean they crawl in there and they're just they're done i mean and it's fantastic they're com- they're comfortable you know i can um kansas is another place that that i like to hunt like got a lot of you know really really um high wind and things like that that'll kind of kick up at night and things like that so you're able to get them in get them out of the you know weather and stuff like that let them rest and recharge for you know for another day yeah is there water water storage solution mm-hmm. built into the trailer or anything other anything else unique like that? So so right now I am carrying um, thirty two liters of water, and um, that's 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 not enough. Um, that's really just enough to for uh, you know a long weekend or whatever to do all the normal stuff that you do if you're really wanting to be away. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really trying to start to figure out um, a, a way to customize the trailer to have kind of a dedicated uh, tank for just dog water. And um, I don't, I, I don't know exactly what that is yet. I've got, I've got a really, really good buddy who um, has way more experience bird hunting than I do and has, had experience with all the the equipment and the tricks and things, the tanks and dog trailers. And he says, doesn't matter how expensive it is, how great it is. It either the tank will freeze up mm-hmm. if you have it out, you know, or what's worse, the tank might be fine. Tank can be insulated, whatever. But the plumbing that comes off the tank to the little, yeah. you know, brass nozzle, Spigot if that thing whatever. freezes, it doesn't matter if there's, you know, 
25 gallons of, of, of liquid water behind that, you're not giving your dogs any water. Yeah. So he actually, you know, those good old fashioned igloo coolers that were on the sidelines, you know, when we all played football as kids and all that kind of stuff, oh, yeah. he takes, he takes two of those, they're insulated, the nozzle never freezes and he just, he's fills them with water. I mean, and this guy's got really, really nice equipment. And then he's got these, you know, these janky igloo coolers that are for the dogs. So they come in hunter uh, orange. They come in hunter orange. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So um, I don't know. I don't know what my solution will be, but, but that's, that's one of the things that I'm working on. Um, I don't have it down yet. And that's part of the fun of it. I mean, yes just like so many things the thinking about it and kind of solving problems and things that's been a lot of the fun of that particular trailer project. Um, you know, yeah, it's one of the reasons so. why this podcast exists <laughs> just for <laughs> thinking about yeah. things and overanalyzing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, I know you make a trip to the grouse woods. It sounds like you get to mm-hmm. get to Kansas. What, what adventures are, are perhaps planned or on your mind as we are, you know, on the season yep. is just around the corner. What are you looking forward to? So I've got a, um, I've got an October trip to kind of North, Northern Wisconsin. Yeah. That'll be a, you know, trailer trip. So, you know, if you see some weird guy, if you're in that area, you see some weird apparatus being pulled behind a, behind a Lexus. That's probably me. Does it have an um, got a, the action sticker on it or anything? No, no, <laughs> that's another story. So I actually added a decal. I named that trailer base camp. Nice. My wife kind of grimaces when I when I tell her that I came up with a name for the trip. But you know, I get tired. People looking at it like they didn't know if it was some sort of an industrial. Thing. I mean, who it it doesn't. You can't tell what it is. Right. Um, so at least I tried to brand it and maybe let people's minds um, you know solve that what is it question. Now I've, I'm I'm finalizing a trip to Kansas um, for pheasant in November. Um, that'll be another one that I take the trailer to. And I don't I, you know I. I, I, I have to find um, reasons to take the trailer. The trailer is not my normal hunting trip. You know, I, I'm, I've got other trips that, you know, that, that all this apparatus won't go with and, and that we'll be staying in more human, you know, lodging and things like that. I mean, I, I enjoy that too. And, and the camaraderie that comes sitting around a fire with a bunch of guys, I love that. But I also like that aspect of, you know, it's, it's just me, it's just me and the dogs or me and the dogs and one or, you know, other guy, whatever. Yeah. I, there, there's something that, 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 that I'm really drawn to about that. Um, so this kind of allows me to kind of play in that space a little bit too. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm digging the solo, solo adventure, a little mix of both. Yeah. I like that. It's cool. So, all right, to, to kind of round out this conversation and bring it back full circle to shotguns, let's talk a little bit about the shotgun or guns that you hunt with, you know, do you have a, being a guy that has, you know, at least a little bit of a collection of shotguns, is there one that you always turn to when it comes to upland bird hunting or what are your thoughts around that? And, and obviously well, we're not going to go another hour here, but no, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and there is, and, um, I caught a lot of heat for that uh, particular gun on my, um, my best grouse gun, uh, uh, episode uh, here just recently. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and and I, I suppose I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'm maybe not completely embarrassed to say it, the gun that I've that I have taken the most game with, hands down, is a 20 gauge Benelli Legacy with 26 inch barrels. Now it's a semi-automatic, yeah. so those 26 inch barrels are probably a little bit more 
in line with a 28 inch barrel set on a break action gun. Yeah. Or more, and, you know, yeah, overall. Or more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I might kind of hold my head down when, you know, somebody is talking to me about my podcast and here I am pulling out a semi-auto, but <laughs> that gun, I mean, it's just, it, it fits me. I can shoot it without thinking. And especially, and this is the point that I tried to make on that particular podcast, especially in the grouse woods where, how your feet are lying, what is smacking you in the face, the short window of opportunity that that bird might offer you, all of those things are playing against you. Your gun needs to be the gun that you're the most comfortable with, yeah. that you are absolutely, you just you you just know that it is going to come and it is going to be on your cheek in that same spot every time. And that's not one of the things that you need to think about. And it just, for me, it happens to be that gun. Now, is that the only gun I hunt with? No. Is that the only grouse gun I hunt with? No. I've got a 20 gauge side-by-side AY number two round body that I take. Mm-hmm. I, sh- I shoot a, I shoot a side-by-side in my mind, dreadful. I don't know. I mean, I think it's because I didn't grow up shooting. I started kind of with a, with a, with a single barrel gun that transitioned because again, uncle Bob's gun was, was a gift and I didn't really shoot it a ton, but that didn't, transitioned into an over and under so that that single sight plane kind of a discussion is what i'm at least more used to Mm -hmm. so i shoot an over and under better i've got a a um a really interesting um beretta made for just a minute they made a case colored hardened 686 back in the i think the like the late 90s or the early 2000s i had that one restocked with a knockout piece of wood from coal um uh, i take that a lot um but I mean, you know, if I'm being honest with you, which I want to be, the gun that I shoot the most game, whether it be um, grouse or quail or woodcock, um, would certainly be that legacy. If you get into pheasant, um, it's a little bit different answer. Um, but yeah, it, it'd be that one. Yeah. I've, I've uh, you know, I've got a a couple of um, two and a half inch chambered English guns that I've got that I'll haul out if the mood strikes me right and I know I'm not going to molest them or it's not raining or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, to me, it's interesting to, to explore those nuances of guns. I mean, these guns, this design was perfected. These break action guns that we're talking about, whether you're talking about Upland gun company and, and RFM, whether you're talking about Beretta, whether you're talking about, you know, Browning, it doesn't matter. You name the brand. It's a design that was perfected. Like, a hundred and say 40 years ago now yeah, hasn't changed a whole and lot. for for a mechanical device to have that kind of staying power without having dramatic improvements made on its design not on the metallurgy or things like that but on its functionality and design i mean that is a really really interesting thing and i think it's a thing that guys i mean you, you need to you need to pay attention to that whether you're into old guns it's easy to pay attention to because you're holding a gun that, you know, how many generations of, of shooters and, and hunters have held in their hands before you or a brand new gun, your brand new gun is borrowing all of that same technology and development that these guns, again, perfected, not just kind of started out with, I mean, you know, think, think of what the, where the automobile was, think of where the sewing machine was right. like a hundred years. I mean, nothing is, nothing can boast that at least that I can think of besides like the hammer, you know, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of things tool wise, mechanical tool wise that can boast that. And, and to me, I, 
I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I do as well. I mean, it's certainly, it's that, that idea is certainly what continues to breathe life into some of those old vintage guns and, and the guns, sure. being, guns being made today that are modeled off of that perfected design, if you will. And I would, uh, yep. I would certainly agree with that. You know, I mean, maybe it, until we start shooting lasers or something, uh, you know, some other kind of <laughs> hyper technology or something. I think the, I think the life lifespan on, on a good old fashioned double gun is, is uh, pretty secure at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Awesome, buddy. Well, Hey, I appreciate you taking the time to join us on the birdshot podcast. This was a lot of fun. Tell everybody where they can go. Obviously if they can find the birdshot podcast, they can certainly find a break in the action podcast anywhere else you would point them to website, social media, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, so so right now, I mean, if, if you're if you're not taking in the break in the action podcast on whatever platform and we're, we're on all of them, um, really, you know, about the only place that I'm spending um, any kind of measurable time is is on our Instagram page. You know, the, the, the photos of guns that you'll see on there are all guns that um, that are in my hands. I mean, they're not, you know, re cycled from other places or anything like that through their guns that are, you know, in my collection or. Um, occasionally now I'm starting to get guns sent, um, in by manufacturer to just kind of, you know, try out and, and, um, you know, maybe talk about a podcast review or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of fun and exciting, but, um, yeah, Instagram or the podcast are really the only space that we live in. Um, so yeah, love, love, love for, for new listeners to check us out. Appreciate that. And again, this was all born just like you said, Nick, this was born from the the fact that I didn't have anybody local to me to really talk about all this. You know, I obviously get into it and get into it pretty deep. So I encourage people, whether it's on Instagram or an email to a break in the action at gmail.com, if you've got a question or if you just want to kind of chat, shotgun chat, I'm totally, totally into doing that. So uh, send me a message and um, and I'll I'll certainly reply. Good stuff, my friend. Thank you again for taking the time. I wish you the best of luck this season. You and I will have to keep in touch, and September's right around the corner, buddy. You bet. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. All right, hang on with me for just a second. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.